Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, it's your buddy Chris joining you. Back at it again. I got a big one today, fireside chat with Chris Dixon. Love this guy. General partner at Andreessen Horowitz talking about the case for decentralization. He is being interviewed by the one and only Sonal Chokshi, another partner in Andreessen Horowitz, but probably familiar with Sonal from the A16Z podcast. Credible podcast. Puts this one to shame. Please give me some help, some pointers, so I can level up. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. But for those who are not familiar with Chris Dixon, Chris Dixon is a famous American internet entrepreneur and investor and active seed investor previously at eBay. And prior to that, was the founder and CEO of Site Advisor and Hunch. Great writer to check out the blog. And then Sonal, of course, editor-in-chief at Andreessen Horowitz and one of the partners. And she is responsible for the A16Z podcast and the Crypto Canon. And she's 10x the growth since she came in. What were you doing before, guys? Thank God for so now. And also a prolific writer. Selected in the New York Times Sydney Awards as one of the best long-form essays with her piece, One App Rules Them All, on the case study of WeChat in China. Incredible writer as well. So, two heavy hitters on stage. Enjoy. So when a lot of folks talk about crypto, they tend to focus on these, you know, the media headlines are about prices, like up and down, and that's fine. Then there's a lot of people talking about really specific decentralized computing applications. So we thought we'd actually take a step back because our session is called The Case for Decentralization. And I would love to talk with you, Dixon, about actually why we care about this and quite frankly, why anyone in this room should care about it. My goal will be to uh, hopefully kind of explain a little bit of, the, of these concepts and, and, and I would love to, uh, if I could, encourage people that are curious about the topic to learn more and potentially- Crypto curious. And potentially join the kind of movement, the community, because you know, we're always looking for more entrepreneurs and more people to join. So um, I kind of look at this through the history of, um, of computing in general. So if you kind of go back in the history of computing, computers invented in the 30s and 40s, and then roughly every 10 to 15 years, there was a new kind of major wave of computing. So there were mainframes um, and then mini computer, mainframes in like the 50s and 60s, uh, mini computers in the 70s, PCs in the 80s, internet in the 90s, smartphones in the 2000s. And so to me, like one of the interesting questions, like whether you're interested in crypto or not, is just sort of what, what's next, right? Like what, you know, and I think there's different ways to look at it, one of them would be maybe this is it, like, you know, smartphones are kind of the final stage, and there's a whole bunch of cool stuff people are doing on, you know, now that you have a smartphone in your pocket, you can do things like, you know, Uber and Lyft and all these other cool services, and people are doing great stuff in fintech and SaaS and consumer apps, and, and by the way, at our firm, we invest in all sorts of things like that, and we're very excited about all that stuff. Um, but there's also this question of like, is there going to be another kind of wave of computing and a new, new kinds of devices and things like this? And so there's various candidates, I think, for that. Um, for example, virtual reality, augmented reality. Uh, there's a really cool uh, article in Wired today. Yeah, about it was augmented on augmented reality. reality. I was reading, um, yep. The uh, Kevin Kelly, who we love. Um, yep. uh, there's uh, 
you know, self-driving cars, AI, um, wearables, you know, talking speakers like Alexa style, and then there's blockchains. And, that, and I, I think of blockchains or crypto as being, as uh, really being a new type of computer. Um, actually, let's yeah. pause there for a moment because that's actually a really important concept yeah. to talk about. And um, you know, when most people talk about blockchains, I've heard definitions like yeah. it's a decentralized distributed ledger, which, and then they get into yeah. arguments about how is this different than Excel spreadsheets or yeah. other databases. Or, you know, there's, all, there's other people who talk about it in very philosophical, lofty terms. Yeah. How would you really sort of get into the no, that's weeds a great question. of what so, that is? I mean, I think that some of it has to do with the history of it. Like all of this stuff kind of started with Bitcoin, which is sort of more focus on a specific application. Um, but, but if you look at something like Ethereum and a lot of the new blockchains, they really are computers in the sense of, you know, going back to the original definition of a computer, Alan Turing, uh, a computer is something that both stores data and then operates on that data. You can write software for a computer. Like the key property of a computer is you can write software for so it, right? you can write software for it. You can write software for it, which means, it's, which means it's like a blank canvas. It's a creative canvas upon which, I think of software development as a creative, mm -hmm. as a creative art. Um, where you know you can invent new things, and you and you look at the history of computing, there there was this really interesting interplay in the past between what I would call platforms and applications. So, you know, the PC first came out, 1977. The Apple II came out. Um, the first people that bought it were engineers and developers and programmers, and they were really the main use case was programming. It's really funny actually to go back and look at the ads at the time. They they were struggling to figure out what was the mainstream use case, and so they they always they always said recipes for some reason. Oh, if yeah. you go back and look at like the ads from like 1979. They thought the, you know, the, the computing industry was trying to figure out the killer app, and they thought it was going to be recipes. So they always had these things of like the happy couple sitting at the right. kitchen table looking up the recipe on the computer, which of course we do today on like an iPad or something, but wasn't really the killer app. Right? The killer app was actually invented later. It was things like spreadsheets and word processors. If you go back and look at it in the yeah. 80s, it was like desktop publishing. It was Photoshop. Right? So the, but what happened was that there was this, this um, interplay between the platforms, the computers, and the applications. The same thing happened with the web. Um, same thing happened with smartphones. If you think about why do you love your, you know, your iPhone or your Android phone, like part of it, people always say Moore's Law, you know, they get better and faster, and of course your, whatever, your iPhone X or, is better than your iPhone 2, but it also has Instagram and you know, a whole yeah. bunch of other applications, which also, right? I mean, so it's both those things. It's both the computers getting better, but then, and, and what happens is the computer gets better partly because the applications get, you know, creative applications come up. People, th that makes the computer more popular, which in turn encourages investment in both sides, and there's this flywheel. And in each of those cycles, by the way, as a group of entrepreneurs, there's, there's a whole series of entrepreneurs in each cycle who kind of ride that, that that hyperbolic, sort of super linear growth wave, and it's really the greatest time for for startups. Um, it's typically, I think, it's it's like you know the, the best times, the best times in each kind of wave of computing. If if that's your focus, like I said, there's other legit great focuses in startups. But yeah. if your focus is sort of these new platforms. There's, there's sort of the, the early experimentation phase, so you could try to be you know, Steve Jobs and Wozniak and build an Apple II, and today the equivalent is building a, a new, layer, what we call layer one blockchain, and you know, like a new kind of cryptocurrency. That sort of, to me, is sort of like the Apple II or the Commodore 64 or Mosaic or you know, the Sidekick or the iPhone, or you, know, you pick, pick your favorite example. But then there's a second wave that I think we're probably gonna enter in a few years, which will be this application wave, um, right. where, where you'll have a whole bunch of uh, opportunities to create the next, series of kind of killer apps for this new platform. Where are we right now, though? Because yeah. honestly, I'm excited about this, too. Obviously, I am. Why is this such a fundamental shift? Yeah. Well, so I, so, so I think that goes partly to what, what, what's special about blockchains? Like, what, why, why do we care about blockchains? So what is a blockchain? Maybe I'll start with that. A blockchain is a, you hear different definitions. The definition I like is it's a system by which 
many computers come together to create kind of a, a new kind of meta computer. Um, and that, that meta computer has this property of being able to make certain trust guarantees to users and to developers and to other people that you can't make on a traditional computer. So you know, you think about uh, our relationship with computers used to be simple when on the PC era, you had a computer in your home, you had your data on your computer, it was yours, that was it. It's sort of similar today with your, your phone, right? But then with the, the development of the internet, it became more complicated, right? Um, uh, now, you know, is, is my data that I keep at Facebook or Google has, is that my data? Is it your data? I'm using your computer, it's not my computer, but there's a terms of service, like, and we see what these issues have, all these issues that have come up, you know, throughout society and for individuals, people are upset that they feel like their data is being misused. People, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate around uh, how these algorithms work, how, you know, how much power they have. And we kind of backed into this, right? I don't think there was like a plan, at least I wasn't, wasn't privy to it, like this plan for like, hey, let's, let's uh, start off with baby pictures. Next thing you know, they're determining like who wins the election. Like that wasn't the plan that I, I don't know, yeah. I think most people had. Um, I come or like the, cat pictures, I mean, in yeah. a good way, leading to deep yeah. learning and in so a good way, but right. We kind of backed ways. into it, right? So what, what's cool about blockchains is they have this new property where you can, you can bake into the code is law, is what I would say, sort of, um, the, the, you can bake into the code what the rules of the system are, and they're, they're transparent. It's all, op all of these systems are open source, all the data is open open source, anyone can audit it, you can see what the rules are. That means if you're an uh, individual and you're using something like Bitcoin, you know there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoins, it's built into the code, it's built right. into the system, no individual can change it. The, the people behind Bitcoin, the people running the mining equipment, the people running the code, they can become evil. It's not, you know, as I'd like to say, it's can't be evil, not do not, uh, don't be evil, like you don't have to hope they don't become evil, they can't become evil. I mean, it's, I mean, there's theoretical ways in which uh, uh, like 51%, I they call it, where the majority kind of can take over, but it's much, much harder for these systems to get right. for individual people to corrupt these the systems. People to participate. Uh, yes, and so that and that creates all sorts of guarantees for users. You can make you can make guarantees. Bitcoin's just the very beginning, right? So like um, you can make guarantees far beyond kind of financial things. You can make guarantees about how your data is going to be treated. You can make guarantees to developers if you're an entrepreneur and you're building on top of a platform. You know, if people that built on top of uh, Facebook and Twitter and lots of other platforms mm -hmm. um, learn this lesson kind of the hard way, which is the platform can change the rules and, sh and yeah. that, you know. They pull if, the carpet out from under you. It's called platform risk in venture capital, right? It's a, and and it, it's, a, it's a significant risk. And so at least, and not, that doesn't mean you can't have that, you won't have that risk here, but it'll be transparent. It'll be baked into the code. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can see those risks up front and you can decide where, you know, what right. you want to commit your data to as a user, what as a developer or as an entrepreneur you want to commit mm -hmm. your time to. You know, I, I have this blog post of your interest, it's called Why Decentralization Matters, and it has this kind of, uh, what I argue is every uh, centralized kind of network effect platform follows a, kind of an S-curve of growth. I mean, that, that, part, that, that part's obvious, where they, they kind of follow this S-curve of growth, but the, the less obvious part is in the early phases, um, they try to attract what, what, what economists call complements. So in the case of Facebook, they try to attract the newspaper companies because they want more news uh, at early Facebook. But right. then over time, what happens is, and then in the growth period, it's fine, you know, sort of, let's call it like, you know, uh, social networking circa 2008 through 12, everything's growing, it's sort of, you know, we have enough to share, right? But then at some point, these things kind of hit the top of the S curve, right? I mean, like, you know, Google's 20% year over year growth or whatever, um, they start to hit this thing and then it becomes kind of the extract mode where like you see like Yelp is going up in front of Congress right. talking about how Google's changing the rankings, right? I mean, at this point that like, you look at like the dynamics of Google's kind of ad engine. So the inflection they, of the S curve keep, is attract to extract. Yeah, and like, like this happening with Google now where they have to, you know, if you built your business on mm -hmm. SEO, which a lot of entrepreneurs did, you know, TripAdvisor, Yelp, et cetera, um, then, you know, at, 
at the beginning, you were the top organic result. Like, it's kind of hard to get Yelp. I have to type Yelp and the restaurant name to get it now yeah. because they put so many paid ads and they put their Google stuff and they put everything else. Why? Because at, at, at a later stage in the network growth, they have to do that in order to continue the growth, right? Right. And so that, but that's, and I'm not blaming Google for Facebook for it. I think, you know, we're friends with those people. We like, like the great companies. They, I think they've done amazing things. You know, having a magical search engine supercomputer in your pocket, like for, you know, is like an amazing invention. Um, but it's just sort of the logic of these organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's just what, what happens when you set it up in this way and you don't, you, they didn't, and it's their right to do it. They didn't make a commitment, yeah. right? There was no commitment made. Um, um, but, but I think people like me think, you know, next, now for the next wave, let's, let's fix that. Let's right. do it right. Something let's do it in a way that like, yeah. And, and I think in a way that it's really in a lot of ways what a blockchain, so the new feature of a blockchain is this feature of trust and that lets you build these new kind of commitments. And I, what I think would be, you know, like, let me give you an example, like creative people, so writers, video game makers, like myself. Um, podcasters, you know, content <laughs> editors, uh, uh, creative people. This should be the most, uh, I think this should be the golden period for creators, right? There's three, three billion-ish people with smartphones. That number's going to go up to five billion or something. Almost every adult on earth will have a smartphone, hopefully, in the next few years. Um, you, can instant, you can write something, create something, a piece of music, and instantly have billions of people, like, you know, listening to it or reading it. Um, and it should be a wonderful time, and instead it's not uh, from an economic point of view. Right. And that's the because, the you know, if you're a video, uh, yeah. you go on YouTube and you read all the controversy around the kind of the revenue share and the deplatforming and all this other kind of stuff, like, um, you know, there, there, there's a better way to do it. There's a way to do it where we can build um, uh, digital services that are just as sophisticated as the centralized services today, but have better trust properties that protect the right. creators and the users. But uh, another you, way to describe blockchain yeah. is, I like to say, is community-owned and operated digital yes. services. So, okay, like that's a great definition. Yeah. So community-owned owned and operated services. But I have to push back a little bit on this, sure. because um, when trust is a new primitive, which yep. I totally buy for this new computing architecture, you invert the model for where um, the user's relationship to data, all wonderful. But the reality of crypto today is that it's actually quite centralized in a lot of different companies or miners. One could argue this as a criticism of crypto. I think Bruce Schneier recently wrote a post yeah. arguing this as well. How would you respond to those critics? Like, well, this is a great vision, but right now it's actually quite yeah. centralized, not really decentralized. Yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, I say a couple things. One is, it's, it's, I think it's still pretty early in the, in the development of these technologies. Um, and so, you know, you say something like Coinbase. I mean, like, you know, I think, I think over time as, these, as this space grows, I mean, obviously I hope Coinbase will continue to be very successful, but I think there'll be, you know, just like with the internet, there won't be sort of, you know, it won't just be like Yahoo or something. There'll be, you know, thousands Yahoo, of Google, these kinds of, yeah. Right. And, and I think the structure of, you know, the, the, this new property of being able to make commitments to people actually should, I think, flatten the distribution, I hope, like kind of have a, a better Gini coefficient or something of the kind of economic rewards here. I mean, that, that's, that's the hope, and that's what people, you know, if you, if you follow the space, we just had a podcast on governance, it's called, like sort of governance is this whole concept of like, now that we're creating these new systems and you can, and you can design kind of granular ways to, decide, so, to, to govern them, to, so for example, if you had a, a blockchain that, that was like Facebook and, and showed you, uh, you know, newsfeed kind of stuff, um, who decides how that algorithm works, right? right. That, that's governance, right? Should it be actually the developers? Yeah. Should it be the people who are the early users even? That's right. I mean, there's so many different yeah. ways because you actually have more mechanisms and, now. And, 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 and I would say that at least there's a new way to, to now design those in the proper way and people are spending a lot of time thinking about it. Mm -hmm. 
It doesn't mean it's guaranteed. I mean, it could go wrong. Right. Um, and there's all sorts of, I was at a conference recently where they had sort of a talk on, you know, ways in which things could get re-centralized, even if this, you know, sort of down the road. And like, right. I kind of feel frankly, as a just been in the sort of first era of the internet, this is the, the kind of having four big incumbents is not how I would have hoped it ended up, frankly. Right. So it, I think it kind of did go awry in a way. And so I, I, I hope this is a do-over that we can make it uh, do a better job this time. We, yeah. the tech community. Um, That's great. Yeah. What would you tell people in this room who are not just crypto curious, but maybe either, okay, you might be an entrepreneur wanting to start a company, build a decentralized application, or maybe not even just work at a company in yeah. the crypto space. It doesn't have to be doing development, it could be marketing, it could be whatever. Yeah. How should they think about the readiness of this? Because so far it's great, but I can't tell if you're talking about something 20 years from now, yeah. 10 years from now, or today. I think one of the things, like we had this kind of crypto bubble in 2017 with prices and news coverage, and I think that um, kind of uh, sort of misset expectations. It's sort of the narrative got ahead of the reality, which is, uh, you know, people thought this was a more mature technology than this. It's, it's a fairly early stage technology. I, I think it's sort of, I think it's kind of like, you know, it's pre, so like, it's very interesting if you look at like the, I was mentioning the kind of history of computing, like, so the Apple II comes out in 77. The growth curve on PCs really started in like 83. So there was this kind of six year period, kind of this incubation period, and then there was the growth period. The internet was around in the 60s and 70s, but kind of pretty, you know, getting more users in the 80s and like kind of academia and areas like that. But it was text-based, it was clunky. Um, and then it really took off with, you know, the World Wide Web and Mosaic Eerie. and all this other stuff. And, yeah, and smartphones, like, I don't know if people here, uh, yeah. Uh, remember, I mean, I, I'm old enough to have been an active sidekick trio. I had all these I, devices. I had, I had the Windows phone. I had all these things. Like too. from 2001 to six, I had like seven different smartphones. Yeah. And, um, Flip phones. I was very excited about them, and it was like, and I had these friends who were entrepreneurs doing it, and it was, you know, is it ever going to really happen? And we had all these debates about it, and this, and, that. and then of course, boom, you know, Apple and Android, yeah. and now it's it sounds like ridiculous and like uh, you know ancient history, but. Um, but I had friends, I had one friend who like quit, he like quit smartphones in like 2006, it was never gonna happen. Like it's, smartphones you know, are it was dead. Like 2007 was a year. Um, but, uh, but so, so I think we're still in that, we're still in the, I think we're still in the kind of pre-iPhone era. Yeah. And it's never, it's, by the way, it's, I'm giving this historical analogy, but it's never always this, it's not like we're literally gonna have like an iPhone or a physical device or something like this, but like, but there will be a moment where these things are kind of ready and, and the app, people start to really figure out the applications. Yeah. There's a lot of really good entrepreneurs, I mean, I, this year, I've been particularly excited. I mean, the, the, the prices are down and the sort of is a crypto winter, um, but the innovation, I think, is very strong. We see a lot of people right. coming out of big tech companies, you know, computer science departments, um, a lot of very good entrepreneurs. Uh, what we, we, we need more, though, like, that's why I'm here. I want to convince people. I want, we, we would love to see more people, entrepreneurs, sort of thinking about these ideas, exploring these areas. Uh, people joining these startups. Um, I think this is sort of the, you know, the kind of Apple II era of right. this movement. Um, and there's a huge, it's a, it's a great area to, to create a career in, and it will be, you know, it will be a great area to, uh, um, yeah. you know, start a company or whatever, but. Right, you know, I love that you're talking about this as like the homebrew club phase yeah. of this, because I remember meeting a lot of those early pioneers of computing as yeah. well, and the way they describe it, I mean, you wrote a great blog post yeah. about, the, not actually about this, but about just in general, what people do on nights and weekends is that yeah. eventually becomes what the world does in 10 years. I, however, have a bit more of a conservative risk profile. I'm not the person to necessarily jump to go to a startup. So what would be some of the more immediate applications yeah. that people who are interested might be want to think about in this Yeah, case? I mean, so, the, so great question. So the first, uh, you know, the obvious first application, so a lot of this stuff started with Bitcoin. And so that's, um, you know, one application is digital money. 
um, and, and why can you create digital money with a blockchain and not before? You could, you could, PayPal could say we have PayPal currency, but you know, are you gonna, and they say we only have 21 million of them, but like they could change the rules. Like, are you really gonna trust it? Are you really, can, do you really own that PayPal coin or whatever? Um, with Bitcoin, you really own it. The rules are baked in. It's not gonna change. Um, so money is an application. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's I, there's a sense in which you own, you own a Bitcoin in, the, in a sen the sense in which you own your phone and, and it's very different than the sense in which you own your Facebook profile, let me put it that way. And mm -hmm. that's one, and, and there's very cool stuff happening. So like one of the, there's a couple, you know, some people think that uh, one of, that, that uh, it would be more useful as a payment mechanism if it were stable. And there's a whole bunch of really interesting, what are called stablecoin projects, yeah. um, where, which, you know, some of which are live and working. And it's really interesting to watch um, where the, 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 they're a cryptocurrency and they're pegged uh, to the US dollar. And so one of the cool things with that, so for example, they're about, depending on who you, like which estimate you look at, there's something like over a billion people who have smartphones now, but don't have bank accounts, uh, yeah. mostly in, in the developing world. The unbanked is yeah, the and phrase that a lot of people don't have government about. IDs, and there's no plan. I've talked to people at banks. They don't have no plan to, to bank it's them. It's not there's financially not... viable for them. And, and, they don't, and, they don't, and it's literally like it's a government infrastructure problem. Like mm -hmm. they don't have, you know, people that don't have IDs don't have like, so, so anyway, so one of the cool things we've got crypto is these are bearer assets, which means that kind of like gold or something, if, if, I, ha if I give you a, a die, which is one of these stable coins, make or die, if I give you a die, you can, you can check that you got the die math, using math. You don't have to, you don't have to call a ping a bank and say, "Hey, bank, did that person have the money? Can I have mm -hmm. the money?" Um, you can do it just with math, and and that's very important for for, for that for that mm -hmm. uh, population that doesn't have yeah. access to those systems. As an example, um, it also makes what's, what I think from a programmer point of view, if you're a developer or entrepreneur, it, it's it, it suddenly money becomes like the way f photos and text are today. You can just send photo, you can build an app on the iPhone, like you can embed email. photos and text, and you can send photos and text over email, mm -hmm. and they're just bits, right? You can just send bits. Yeah, you, you don't can't need do to that ask. With money right now. You don't have to get permission. You don't have to say like. You know, PhotoCorp. Can I use you know photo? It's a file format. You can send it now. Money is a file format, and you can send it with with, a, with something like a die, right? Yeah. You can send it like a file format. You can build stuff on it. You can do whatever you want. No one's going to change the rules. No one can change the rules, um, and it and it be, makes so it makes money like the way you know yeah. as simple as and as seamless and as global as email. Right. So, and that's just so that's just one. And then there's just one yeah. note on that really quick. Connecting it back to your idea of a blockchain computer. Yeah. Um, Stablecoins have all the properties of the borderless that you're describing. Yeah. It can, because it's built on blockchains, you can essentially have all the best properties of permissionless decentralized, decentralized computing and then actually bring all these people into the system because you can't do that with the current system. So I love that it connects back to your idea of blockchain yeah. as a computer. So, okay, so we have money, stablecoins, people talk about DeFi, like decentralized yeah, finance. So so like how, like so makers, this thing built on Ethereum, like how do they build it? They build it with what are called smart contracts. So smart contracts are basically code that is built on a blockchain. The code can't change. Once the code is, is autonomous code, some people call it. Once you've built, right now as we speak, this maker, these maker systems are running, nobody's operating them, no one, the, the team that created them can't change them, it's code out in the cloud that's just like running and it's there and it's like and, and, and you can and you can go and you can read it and I, I've read it myself you can go on github and you can read the code and you can see what the code does and that code will always do that and like mm -hmm. and and no one's gonna no one can change that um, and so in that way you can create a commitment right a, a, a programmatic commitment to people and you can do s sort of cool stuff like makers one example augur is another cool thing where it's sort of this it's this ability to create kind of prediction markets and 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 do other kind of interesting stuff like that. There's a whole concept of what people call DAOs, which are uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. So there's like, uh, there was a kind of a, uh, it was this whole, if you follow the space, there was this whole. Um, the DAO the, hack. This thing called yeah. the DAO hack. This, this project got hacked. 
um, and, and it was bad. But but uh, but but there's a but the idea is is coming back, and you're going to see a bunch of these, which are basically like, for example, people are creating a DAO um, that basically replaces venture capital. So instead of having uh, a centralized, we're, cent we're a centralized service. You have a centralized service bottlenecked by you know humans or something. You uh, you have this this kind of cloud hive mind of you know in the same way that Wikipedia is sort of this cloud hive mind of. Uh, participants in this DAO who collectively decide how to allocate the capital, right? Um, and it's, you know, these are experiments, but it's, they're really cool experiments. Um, yeah, some I actually yeah. would, I would argue are even more than experiments. I mean, they're real, they're working, some are working for over a year, they're yep. moving like a good amount of money on them. Um, so the big message I'm hearing, the big takeaways for the group are homebrew club phase, exciting, there's more to come, it's the early days. There's actually a lot of immediate applications, including things that are currently centralized that could be decentralized, as well as entirely new things that were not possible yep. because of the fact that they're built on this completely distributed, decentralized computer. Any other parting takeaways for the group? Well, I would just say, uh, well, I think one, one other uh, kind of interesting thing, I think, too, is that um, if you look at these past computer movements, some of them, I would say, are inside out and some are outside in. So oh, by inside out, I would say, um, the iPhone, right? It was Apple and Google who did it, and they kind of took over and, and as a result, collected a lot of the, the money that came out of that. Um, the PC was more outside in, right? It was these hackers and hobbyists. This is, this is an outside in, it, and it, it's very much like these kind of hackers. Anyone can join. There's a, it's a very inclusive community. It's global. Um, it, it comes really kind of out of, it's, I mentioned the computing movement, but it also comes out of the open source movement, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, I think been, uh, to me, is the most, really one of the most important things that's happened over the last 20 years in technology, um, and I think it's been a wonderful thing in terms of you know net benefit to society and creating these new open systems. Um, and so you know this is a, so so I think that also means you know you don't need a factory, you don't need a, you know billion dollars in capital. You can be a relatively small group of creative people and do something really impactful here. So. I, I just would, uh, I just, uh, sort of an advertisement to say that uh, uh, if you're, you know, curious about this area, we have a lot of resources on our website. Sonal, Sonal uh, <laughs> has, has created. Um, so we'd encourage you to read more, and we'd love for more people to enter the space as entrepreneurs or joining companies, or, and, and we'd like to be yeah. a resource to be helpful if you, if you decide great. to do that. It's the next Homebrew Club phase. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming to our session. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.